Well, good morning, First Press. <clears throat> really glad that you are here this morning on this first Sunday of Lent. And if you don't know, or maybe you've lost track of what Lent uh, is, Lent is this uh, celebration. Uh, Season. I was going to call it celebration, but that's not quite right. It's more of a, a season of preparation as we move together, both personally and as a whole community, towards the celebration of the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. And uh, it's possible that if you've ever looked at a calendar, you've noticed from Ash Wednesday, which we just had last week, I'll talk about that in a minute, all the way to and uh, through Easter, you'll recognize that there are more than 40 days that are in Lent on the calendar. And if it's ever bothered you, let me explain why. <clears throat> uh, that's because every Sunday when we gather here, um, this is a little mini celebration of the resurrection. Every day we gather here on a Sunday, it's, it's part of the story of us sort of living, this, even this weekly rhythm of wanting to say that Christ is alive and is alive in us. So uh, these particular days, we don't, they don't count as Lent. So if you already have a Lent practice, sometimes people call this a feast day. You can enter back into whatever it is maybe you've given up if you desire to. But I wonder if, how many of you actually have some sort of a Lent intent that you have started. How many of you have already sort of, yeah, a couple of hands, lots of you, lots of you. Okay, I love that. If you haven't, let me just encourage you to, uh, to step into something as we, uh, as we work our way towards the cross and then the resurrection. And if you don't have one, you're not really sure what to do, can I just, can I just make a suggestion? Already over this uh, first uh, t- 10 weeks or so of the new year, we've sought to read the scriptures uh, together, the New Testament. What if right after you read that Bible passage, whenever that is, maybe it's in the morning, You close your Bible and you simply just ask the Lord to transform your heart by by being obedient to Him. And you listen. What if you just say, Lord, will you transform me and my heart for you? And it might be 30 seconds. It might be 20 minutes before you feel like you are ready to move on from that. But it could be a simple little pattern for you as you step into this season uh, together. Ash Wednesday, the very beginning of Lent, was a really glorious time here. We had over 500 people come on in between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m., 14 hours of having prayer stations uh, throughout our sanctuary here, and it was uh, extraordinary. And I got to do the last couple of hours, the uh, last two hours, uh, as the Asher. That's the actual role, Asher. Um, and I watched people sort of go through all of the stations, and, and sometimes they'd come to me, almost always they came to me, and I had some ash, and I'd put it on my finger, and I'd, I'd make the cross, of, uh, the sign of the cross on their forehead, and I simply would say to them, you've come from ash. You're going to return to ash. But you have received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, now and forever. And the great thing about doing that for those uh, two hours is it happened to be the time when all of our student ministries and our children ministries came through. So I got to ash like every conceivable generation in our church. It was awesome. I watched people over here sort of like take clay and, and sort of mold it as a way to say they want to be sort of molded 
um, by the Lord and to be prepared for what prayer might have for them. I saw people in this spot right here sort of digging through this giant box of dirt looking for treasure. I saw them come up here to these stairs and there are these rocks. They could, um, they could write things that are troubling to them or the sins that they have been carrying and they could have them be made washed clean. I watched people over here take a nap in the Lord. Not kidding. There are some seeds over there you could take with you and carry and scatter as you left this place. And, and right here there was this place that sort of was um, uh, asked you to sort of read this parable of the sower, the parable of these seeds that get scattered. And people sat there and there was this big trough or like kind of baskety thing filled with seeds and people would, would grab them. And there were all these little pots and stuff, some of them here actually, um, thrown onto the, you know, they threw their seeds and hopefully they landed in a pot. And I, I know better than this, but this was my reaction for the first 10 to 15 minutes I watched this. What a waste. They're totally missing the pots. And then I realized, <laughs> oh yeah, that's the point. That reaction, they're, like, they're missing it. This is a waste. They're not getting this, where it needs to go is, is actually the reaction that the hearers of today's parable, that's what they would have thought. They would have thought that as they listened to this parable. So let's pray, shall we? And we'll dive into this parable of the sower from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us here together this morning. We thank you for uh, human ingenuity that gives us an imaginary extra hour of light tonight. We thank you for what that has meant for our sleep this morning. Lord, we come into this place And you already know everything there is about us. You know what we carry. You know what we doubt. You know our angers and our dreams. You know the places where our lives are broken and fragmented and sinful. You know the places where we are glorious and full of life and possibility. Lord, we bring all of those things to you this morning and pray that you would transform them and use them for your glory as we come to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our Lord, rock, and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. All right, for the next several weeks, all the way through Lent, we're just going to be sort of focused in on Matthew chapter 13. Matthew, the book of Matthew, the, the story of Jesus in, in, that, uh, in that gospel, is sort of organized around five teaching units from beginning to end. And Matthew 13 is the middle of those five. It's the right smack dab in the middle. So organizationally, it's right in the very middle of all of those teaching units that Jesus has as he's teaching people at a lake in this case, or his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. But also, many commentators think not only is this organizationally the middle, it's the, it's the middle of the themes that Jesus wants us to know as we look back at the first half of Matthew and what's going to be coming up next in Matthew. This is at the, the core and the center of Jesus' teaching. And here's a way to sort of understand what Jesus has been uh, trying to point to already. Something is happening underground. Something's happening underground. We can't quite see it yet. There's something that's emerging. 
something that seems to be actually hidden. We want things to be visible and obvious. And what he says is this thing is maybe not quite as obvious. Here in chapter 13, we get two parables that are like take place in these big fields. And then right after that, we get these two parables about these tiny little seeds, one yeast and the other a mustard seed. And then we get two more parables about buried treasure. And then we get another sort of parable and story about casting our net into the sea. There's something that's happening here that's underground. And he wants us to know it. So let's turn, as you see there, Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Let's see what we can talk about and learn about today as we uh, begin this march through all these parables. So Matthew 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus was in a house talking to his disciples. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Okay, stop there. We're going to get to the rest in a second. I want to point something out to you that was really important to the the earliest generations of the church. Very early on, the church gathered in homes. And the earliest records that we have of preaching on this passage, they stop right here and say, this is a thing we want everyone to know about Jesus. He is not locked into a building. Jesus is not locked into a house. He's not constrained to a household. The Word of God wants to leave this household out into the world. And I just want you to know that because this is not a house exactly. We can sometimes be guilty of thinking the Word of God should stay here. But the Word is meant to go out. So such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus is with his disciples, And as he's out to go to teach and to share, others gather around. And we know he's speaking primarily to the disciples because as we continue to read chapter 13, we see this interaction that Jesus is having with his disciples while everyone else is listening. And he sees all these people and he steps into a boat. He says, I want to let you know what's happening. I want you to sort of see this in in a different sort of way. See, people were gathering because they thought, maybe, maybe Jesus is the one. Maybe he's the one that we've been waiting for, looking for, longing for. See, people in Israel have been waiting for a long time for a returning king, looking for someone who would bring victory, who would confront their enemies and be a warrior king, who would be a conqueror. And Jesus is about to say and to show them, I am all those things, but I am not exactly what you are expecting as you expect those things. 
Well, while we stand, we know that Jesus is victorious. We know he's a warrior king, and we know he's a conqueror, but not in the way that they expected. In the same way today, we sit out here and we seek to listen and hear the word of God and what he might have to say to us, and, and we have a different kind of expectation for what it would mean for us to, to follow Christ. If we're going to really be honest, we sort of expect Christianity to be conveniently comfortable for us. We really expect that it's going to help us have this sense of success and, you know, maybe sort of calm some of our fears and help us get on to the next part of our life and to do it well and Guess what? Jesus is going to do all those things, but it might not be quite the way you are expecting. What Jesus intends for our comfort and for our success might not exactly be our definition. So he says this, I want you to understand something here. I want you to know something. He says something actually that's kind of troubling. What he says is, this is not going to be all success. This is what you need to know right now as a person who's sitting to listening to the word of God. You need to know this is following Jesus Christ, being his disciple, is not going to be an unmitigated, unqualified, never-ending success. In fact, because it's underground, oftentimes it might even look like failure or setback. And if you know something about the history of the church, you will know this is true. Jesus says, like, a, like the sower, I'm seeking sort of just germinate the power of God's kingdom everywhere I go. I'm just, just wantonly just scattering it everywhere. And it's small, and it will look like a failure. In fact, he says, 75% of what I scatter will fail. Three out of the four soils are going to fail. And if you're aware of the church, you know how much of our story is failure. Throughout the centuries, you know how often we've gotten it wrong and we've mingled our desire of the kingdom of God for something like uh, the kingdom of power on earth. You know how often we've allowed our theological certainty to color the call for grace. You know how often we have um, subjected ourselves to accusations of hypocrisy, and they hurt. This kingdom of God is going to look like failure. It's intended to, to take root. It's intended to grow. It's intended to flourish. But, but is it? Is this, is this what it looks like? Jesus goes on to actually tell us what, what actually this parable is about. And so he calls himself, he calls it the, the parable of the sower. But I want you to notice how much he spends on the soils. I'm going to talk about that next. This is what he says. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been shown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, 
well, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. One of the things that I find troubling about this particular story and even the interpretation is he's talking all of it about us, the church, people in this very room. This is not actually a story about sort of evangelism and us spreading the word. This is about what happens when the word of God is cast out into the hearts and minds and imaginations of the people right here, right now. And one of the things that he says is is, um, sometimes that word falls on someone who is impenetrable to the word. They're here, they've listened to the word, maybe even for a long, 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 long time. And as it turns out, when they're really honest about it, they, they know how to be a moral person, but they're not particularly captured by the kingdom of God. They like the morality of the friends that they're with. They like sort of what seems like the, the kindness of the community. They've been here for a long time or in some church for a long time. But as the seed gets sown and lands on them, it's like it's snatched away right away. The soil is intended to receive the seed, but the, the soil of these people's hearts actually seems to be simply just be there to receive human activity. It's a path, not a field. There's something about the callousness and hardness of their heart that does not allow the seed to take root. Their orientation to God and God's Word is wrong. So they receive it, but it never grows. I have to be honest, I, when I think about this, this is, I think this is true of individuals, but there's also true about this in moments of my own life. There are certainly passages of the Bible I'm like, well, that one I'm not going to do. I'm not going to believe that. That can't possibly be the way I'm supposed to think about God. I don't like it. So not only is this true for, like, on an individual basis, on a, like an entire individual just rejects it. Oftentimes, I have to confess, sometimes there are parts of God's Word that actually I just flat out reject. I've let my heart sort of become impenetrable to that part of what God wants me to know about His kingdom and about His work and why it matters. But it's not only that people are sometimes impenetrable to the Word. Sometimes they simply just wither at persecution. Right? Sometimes they just um, they receive sort of the glances and words and phrases of their, of their friends, and they just wither under it. We don't actually uh, receive a lot of persecution in the United States of America. Life's pretty good here. It's, frankly, compared to a lot of places where Christ has followers, it's super easy. But still, we are subject to this kind of persecution, and it does weaken our faith. And you know the kind of persecution I'm talking about. You're in the, you're in the, um, in the grocery store, and you see the, 
um, you see the magazine article that says something about um, the failure of Christianity in one way or another, and you kind of believe it. You see the clickbait on the news feed you always read, and it says something just shockingly scandalous about some church leader, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's just what we do. We're awful. I can't believe I'm a Christian. I, I am, but I can't believe that I am. We hear the mocking of our peers, and we, we don't respond. Instead, we kind of slink away and say, you know, actually, they, they kind of have a point. We're in our classrooms and our places where the teachers will actually oftentimes say something sort of dismissive about Christianity or about what it means to follow Christ or what Christianity has done in the world. And we believe it. We believe that that is the primary truth about Christianity. And what ends up happening, friends, is our faith withers. We let this low-grade, mocking, cultural expectation, dismissiveness of the goodness of our God become our dominant story until our own faith dries out. The vibrancy of our earlier faith is gone. What sprung up now bears no fruit. We are here but we are withered. The Lord just so graciously, abundantly seeks to scatter his word and the meaning of his kingdom in, in every single corner around. And sometimes it lands on places that are impenetrable. Sometimes it lands in places where, we, where it, it withers. And sometimes we choke on worry and prosperity. The word goes out, and we sort of just choke on it. Something other than the seed of God and the promise of His kingdom dominates our thinking and our imagination. In that second passage I read, Jesus says there are two things specifically that He had in mind as He gave us this parable. One of those is that we actually sort of um, we choke on the deceitfulness of wealth. We spent the last several weeks on a series of generosity, sort of looking at the, the, the affirming side of what it means to be tapped to the wellspring of all that is good and what that might mean for us. But without belaboring the point, we know that sometimes it's also true that that wealth can sometimes actually protect us from understanding and feeling the need for God and His kingdom. We got under control. Our resources are enough. And Jesus says sometimes that perspective and that reality in our lives can choke out the goodness of what God's planting. But what I want to spend even more time on is this idea of worry. Many of us hear the, um, hear the word of God, but it's, it's planted in a place where we're, we already have so much worry. Both sort of personal worry. Certainly this is me over this last week. I've... Um, Many of you know this. I think I've even shared it before. Our, our oldest daughter's uh, going to go to college somewhere in the fall. And um, it's really wonderful, praiseworthy, amazing that she's been accepted to all six schools that she applied to. And I hate that. I honestly wish that she'd just been accepted to one. I'd make it so easy. 
Instead, what ends up happening is, is my own sense that no matter what is happening, no matter, God's actually doing something underground. And instead, I let myself sort of worry about how it's going to go for her and what kind of decisions she's going to make and how we're going to pay for it. All those things I've talked about before, I get choked by the worry of it. Not seeing actually that God is actually doing something underground that will allow her to flourish and prosper. God is truly at work in the life of my daughter. Can I let go of my worries enough to see it? But it's not only those kind of personal kinds of worries that I want to share briefly with you about. It's also, it's also what can sometimes happen to our Christianity as we want it to interact with the world. Often our worry becomes sort of issue-driven Christianity. Where we're upset, frankly, usually by the politics of what's happening in our nation. Something's happened in Congress some decision is made by our state legislature. Something's happened in the judiciary. Our executive branch seems to be doing something that feels toxic and destructive to us. And it chokes out our faith that God is doing something. Honestly, this happens a ton with me as I sit with you and and in conversations. Sometimes people will uh, come to say hi or check in. You know, we have some chit-chat, and almost it's always one of two things, almost always, we talk a little bit about. We either talk about some things that are actually demonstrations of how wealthy we are as a community. People talk about their ski day, or the cabin they have, or the the travel they're going to make to somewhere tropical because it's zero degrees here, right? We talk about the thing we bought, talk about how frustrating it is to have a car that doesn't have all-wheel drive. Almost always our conversation reflects something about our wealth and our comfort. And I'm part of that. I share that. I have my own versions of that. My concerns about, you know, paying for college and other things notwithstanding, I, I recognize that I am extraordinarily wealthy in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of the Lord. But the other thing we almost always get to is things that are happening in our country. Almost every time, someone will bring up, can you believe this last thing? I just don't know what to think about that. What are we going to do next? How, does all of, how has all of this happened? I can't believe this. And friends, this passage has something to say to us in that moment. Friends, if we are more angsty about left versus right, if we find our agitation all ginned up about Democrat versus Republican, if we take an issue and we're pretty sure our country is now going to like descend into the third level of hell because of something that our leaders are doing, if you have lost a single wink of sleep about what's happening politically in our country, then you have put your foot down more strongly in the kingdom of the earth than you have in the kingdom of God. You are letting your life be choked out by the circumstances that are happening in our nation. And it is right to be worried, and it is right to be concerned, and it is appropriate to be aware and to even be involved. 
But friends, we belong to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the earth. We have a different citizenship, a different kind of allegiance, a different kind of story now that we are in Christ. Can you let that story dominate? Can you let the story of the kingdom of God take such root in your heart that it matters more to you than the next awful decision our nation makes? Jesus takes a survey of his people and he says, sometimes I share the word of God, sometimes I I scatter it and it ends up, well, it ends up on soil that won't receive it at all. Sometimes it gets received by people who, in their excitement, they jump right in, but then the the complexity and the persecution of of the world sort of diminish it. Sometimes I throw it out and it ends up amongst the sea, amongst the thorns that are already there, the weeds are already there, and, and the word gets choked out by our worries and our prosperities. But, he says, sometimes, sometimes people are not more worried about the kingdom of the world than the kingdom of my Father. Sometimes they, they hear this and the seed gets, the, as the seed gets scattered, it, it lands on this really extraordinarily fertile ground and, and it yields a harvest. He was a harvest. Now, this is where, friends, all of a sudden, our failure turns into God's success. I wanted to do some simple math for you. So far, only one in four seeds have actually landed in a place in our lives, in our community, that are actually going to yield a harvest. And that sounds awful, but let's just do the math, shall we? Out of 100 seeds, let's say we had 100 in our hands. I just threw them like this. 25 seeds remain right? 30 times yield out of those 25 seeds means that out of that we're going to get 750 seeds. Now, if that was dollars, if you had 100 bucks and you had to give away 75 of them to get 750 of them, would you do it? See, this is the thing, in the middle of the failure, this is what God wants us to know. That actually what's happening underground is something that will bring extraordinary success for God's kingdom. And you can be part of it. You can be listeners and doers and hearers of God's word. This story is not a story of failure after all. It is a story of our vulnerability. It is a story of, of what can happen to us when we allow ourselves to get compacted or choked out or shallow. We are vulnerable. But God, in His infinite wisdom, will always win the day. It won't always look like it, it won't always look like success. Sometimes things growing take much longer than we want or that we think. But friends, God is eager to scatter the seed of his word and have it take root and have it grow in you for an extraordinary harvest. So what do we do? How do we do that? How can we be part of that story? 
This is one of those places where sometimes it can be dangerous to take a parable too far to its logical conclusion. Because I've literally been in the room before when a pastor has said, therefore, you are what you are. The soils can't change themselves. But what's really interesting, friends, is Jesus himself, at the very beginning of his ministry, says, repent. Believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Allow your life to change in some way. It's more responsive to God's coming. You can change. You can transform. You can actually choose to amend the soil. I looked a little bit about how to amend soil, and it can be a really extraordinary complex process. You rototill it, and you throw in some sand or some gypsum or some like 40, 60 version of both or all the different things, and you fertilize it, and all, there's lots to go on. You water it. What's interesting about all that is Jesus doesn't bring any of that to this moment. He simply says, hear the word and understand it. And that's how you amend the soil. Let's talk about that word amend for a second or uh, um, understand for a second. That word, we hear, like what we think is we hear it and we like get a little deeper in our brain, right? And partially we think that because uh, in our culture and like the way the thought world and epistemology has sort of progressed over the centuries, we, we really in many ways sort of treat ourselves like a brain on a stick. Nothing else matters but just our brain. If we understand it, that's good enough. But the word understand here is much closer to actually, it's an active verb. It's actually having the things that you hear be connected to the way that you live. It's more like be hearers and doers of the word. That's, that's really what Jesus is saying here. The thing that brings a harvest are the things that are the, are the people, are the churches, are the communities that hear God's word and do it. That's it. That's how you amend the soil. You let the roots themselves begin to transform the soil. Hear and do. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it simply just says that. It says, don't just be hearers of the word, but also be doers of it. So I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you exactly how to do this. Are you ready? Okay. First, I need to acknowledge that this is going to be really, really hard. Really, really hard. And here's why it's going to be hard. They've shown so many studies about how human beings are wired up to be in conversation. This is the most natural way that we have conversations. We sit across from someone at a coffee table or at our own dinner table, and they're talking and they're talking, and they take a breath, and then it's our turn. We actually have not been listening at all. We have simply just been waiting for our turn to say the thing that makes us sound smart. We've been waiting, just like, they take that breath, like, oh yeah, I know what you mean, and also, we sort of get our own stuff in there. Probably you've done that. And as long as you say something that kind of sounds like it's on theme, they think you've been listening. But you haven't. You've been rehearsing what you want to say. And it can be the same in our spiritual lives. We can hear the word of God. 
We can attend to it. We can, we can read it. We can go through a Bible reading plan. And as soon as we're done, we're like, and also this is the way I think about it and what I should do. And God, if you really love me, this is how you're going to help me today. What if we just turn that around and we didn't do any talking at all? What if during this Lent, as I suggested, instead what you do is you, you read the scriptures themselves, you hear from the word of God, it is scattered into your heart, and you say, Lord, transform me. Show me what I am to do today. And this is the hard part. You do it. And sometimes it's going to be crazy. You're going to have to knock on your neighbor's door and say, Hey, I'm just wondering, is everything okay? You're going to have to call your sister that you've been in a fight with for the last 12 years, and you're going to say, No, I'm not calling about the family reunion. I'm just calling to say I'm sorry. That missionary's letter that's been on your fridge, you're going to have to double what you thought you would give. Be listeners to God's word and doers. That's how the soil gets amended. It's going to get scattered every corner of your life, every corner of this church, every corner of this county. And do you know how we end up yielding a harvest? By hearing and doing. I read a story this week about someone who <clears throat> was supposed to be praying every, uh, at the same time every day with uh, some, some part of his community. And he was traveling at that time, and so he uh, didn't uh, pray at that time. And as he got off the airplane and walked down the concourse, the Lord said, kneel over there and pray. And he said, no, Lord, I don't kneel in airports. Kneel over there and pray. And what he realized, actually, what he said, first of all, he did it. And second of all, he realized that it was not really about the kneeling. It was about the softness of his heart. And if he could do that, then the Lord could also entrust him with something even bigger. Hear and do. Lord, we thank you for this simple word today that will never be easy for us to follow. We pray, pray, gracious God, that you would empower us, strengthen us, gift us with your Holy Spirit. For as we seek to be changed and amended, more ready for your word, Lord, truly that must also be work of the Spirit. Lord, I pray for uncommon boldness and courage this week that in the places where we work and live and serve and gather, that we would hear your word and then boldly do it. In Christ's name, amen.